Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms. <clears throat> um, yeah, like Carl said, don't ever believe the lie that what you do isn't important. Um, don't ever believe the lie that what you do goes unnoticed. Um, it may go unthanked sometimes. It may go unmentioned. Um, but we're not living for the praises of men anyways. I know it's nice to be encouraged. I know it's nice to be thanked, and I'm not excusing the, that stuff, but I am saying that your Father sees everything you do. And it says, and your Father who is in heaven sees what you do in secret and will reward you in public. So just know that, that even if a person does you know, sometimes kids don't even know. Like, they don't even know to thank you because they're angry about what you're doing. You know, like, you're looking out for their best and doing their best, and they're, Mom, so mean, you know? And it's like, you feel like, why do I do this? Why do I agonize over this? Why not just do the thing they want that would make them happy? It's because you want to do the thing for them that will make them who God created them to be, not happy in the moment, because that's the heart of the Father. He wants you to be joyful, but He really, really, really wants you to become who He created you to be, rather than just having a momentary happiness. So um, if you have your Bibles, open up real quick uh, to Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. We're going to continue on. I, I'm really enjoying this because we can take as long as we want with this. Um, and I feel like it's been really, really good to just kind of slowly go through this stuff and talk through it. Um, we were talking about, you know, just the idea of spiritual giftings. And, and so we were talking about prophecy first, and we talked a little bit last week. But this week we really want to start digging into it. First uh, Corinthians chapter 14. Verse 1 says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you we have this written record that we can all open up and, and so clearly see and hear your heart. And God, I ask today that as, as I speak from your word that you would speak through me. Father, that the things that I speak would be from your heart, God, that, that they would go in and, and that our ears would be open to hear that our minds to, to understand and comprehend and our heart would be good soil, that the seed of your word would take root in our hearts, God, producing fruit in our lives, that a world that doesn't know you would taste and see your goodness through the fruit of you in our lives. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, <clears throat> a, a quick side note. When, when Paul says, uh, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy, um, and then goes on to talk about the, the why prophecy is so amazing. Um, I think that we shouldn't negate the fact that he's asking us to desire spiritual gifts first, and then it says, but especially. So there's a separate standalone statement there of desiring spiritual gifts. And I think part of that is an encouragement to us that we should eagerly desire to receive from those spiritual gifts. In another place, he says not to despise prophetic utterances. In other words, don't despise them. Don't look down on them. Don't discard them. But here he's encouraging us to earnestly desire. So I think there's, there's two sides to that coin. And he does go on to talk about you know, the, the, the giving of prophetic words, the gift of prophecy and, and what it does. And, and I think that's totally in line with Scripture because Scripture says it's more blessed to give than to receive. So I think the focus on it would be giving. But I think we would miss some of it if we ignore the fact that he's asking us to earnestly desire these things actively desire that god would speak to you through other people through prophetic words through the gifts of, of the holy spirit because that's what they are they're gifts and they he uses them to edify us and to encourage us paul says right here that that prophecy edifies the church so when someone gives you a prophetic word there's an edification in that for you and i think part of you know like we we really do focus so much i think on on man i just you know i want to i want to be able to, to have spiritual gifts active in my life, and I want to be able to speak God's heart to other people, and that's awesome, and that's totally the, the better side of giving and receiving, but let's not negate the goodness in receiving. Let's not just gloss over and miss the fact that within that command, there's both sides of the coin. For in, or, in, or, in order for you to be able to give, there has to be someone to receive, and so 
Um, so I think that, that because of, of, of nature, you know, our, our bend that we have sometimes towards wanting to receive things, I think Paul kind of just says that and then realizes, like, that's probably not going to be a problem for most people and says, but especially that you may prophesy. So receiving gifts is awesome, but really desire that you can be the one to prophesy. And so, uh, so we're going to talk about the gift of prophecy. It's going to take us a, a while to, get, to cover all this and get through this. But I just want to say, like, it, it's not as weird as, as, as it's been made out. Now, there can be times where it's weird, right? Like, you read the Bible, and there are some weird things that happen in there. You know, like Elijah getting down, putting his head between his legs and praying, and then that servant says, he says, go look and see if you see anything. I see a fist, you know, it's a cloud like the size of a man's fist. He immediately runs over to the king and says, oh king, you better get off this mountain because there's a storm, a violent storm coming, a mighty rain, a flood is coming. All off of seeing a man's fist after sticking his head between his legs and praying. If, if you were talking to one of your friends and you asked them a question and they did that right in front of you, like duck down, put their head between their legs, then stood up, saw some cloud way off in the distance, or someone told them of a cloud way off in the distance, and they took that and looked at you and made this bold prediction, it might seem weird. You give grace to the people that were alive when this was being written because we have the benefit of reading this, so now it's normalized because we've read it and saw what happened. But in the moment, it had to be a little weird for a king to have the man who he hated, the man who he was trying to kill. Remember, Ahab was hunting for Elijah the prophet, trying to kill him. And I love that the heart of Elijah is this. When he sees that there's a storm coming, because the king is up there with a chariot, the king doesn't have a way to get down off the mountain, the first thing he does immediately is go and warn the very man who's trying to kill him to get down off the mountain so that his life would be spared. He doesn't use it and lord it over him. He doesn't use it and say, oh, well, he's my enemy and he's been trying to kill me. If there's a flood coming and I get down off here quickly enough and he doesn't know it's coming, he'll be destroyed. His heart is always for other people, even if those people's heart hasn't been for him. And just remember that as we're talking about prophesying and spiritual gifts and stuff like that. We don't get to measure out the way that we use it. That's up to the Father. But when He gives you something, always submit it to love. And let your response and let your use be through the filter of love. So what does Elijah do? He looks and he loves a man that doesn't love him. Jesus said, listen, what good is it to your account? What credit is it to you if you love those who love you in return? Even the Gentiles, even the tax collectors, even the people that don't know the Father do that. He said, but I say to you, love your enemies. And bless those who curse you, which spitefully use you. What's he saying? Listen, you don't get to say, I'm going to love this person, I'm not going to love that person based on their way that they have treated me. That's not love, that's manipulation, that's response, and the world does that. But true love looks over and sees a king that wants to kill him and realizes his life is in danger, and if I don't share this prophecy with him, he's going to be destroyed. And so rather than keeping it to himself and letting the king be destroyed, he immediately submits it to the king. And so... So th- th- that could be weird, but, th- but uh, let me give you just a, a, a brief example of, of it just not being so weird. So, um, and I've shared some of this story before with us, that, that my wife and I were praying um, for our house, you know, to be out, completely out of debt. And the last debt that we had left was our house. And, and it seemed kind of insurmountable, honestly, with the, you know, with the income that we had and, and, and just the expenses that our family has. And, and, and we, we cut everything we possibly could cut out, and we were just putting every bit we could, and, and um, on the advice of a friend, the advice of Carl, we, we just got before him and just said, Father, here's what we can do, and this is our heart. We, we really, you know, we, we want to take you at your word, and, and we, we don't want to have any debt, and, and, and so, Father, we're going to do whatever we can and trust you with what we can't, and this is us just yielding to you and submitting our finances to you. We, me and Patty prayed, and I walked out of the room, and Instantly, my wife heard, felt like she heard the Father, not an audible voice, just that voice within you, that still small voice, say, by this time next year, your house will be paid off. Um, So she didn't even come and tell me. She just wrote it down in her journal. And kind of pondered it in her heart, but believed it. There's something to our response when we receive a prophetic word. 
there was something too. When a prophetic word came to Mary, it said, and she believed, and it was counted to her as righteousness, that she believed it. And she said, be it unto your servant as you wish. Now, she had no idea how will this happen. She couldn't figure that out. Just like my wife couldn't figure out how's this going to happen, that part was beyond her understanding because that part wasn't contained in the word. Mary was told then by God, but Patty wasn't told. And sometimes God will reveal the way, and sometimes he'll keep the way to himself. And it's our responsibility to not let not understanding how cause us to doubt what. And so the, she, she writes it down in her journal. And, uh, and for those of you guys that, that know the story, or for those of you guys that don't, um, two months later, we received a check in the mail for the amount that we needed to pay off our house, $105,000. Just showed up in our mailbox anonymously. And our house was paid off. And so people could say, well, well, if it was really God saying that, listen, it, it, one, the word was true that with, by that time next year, our house was paid for. You know, and I, when I told it to someone, they're like, I wonder why he didn't say two months. And, and Patty had a really good point. She said, you know, if God would have said by this time two months from now, your house would be paid for, she said, it would have been a lot harder for me to believe it. Because I, I, then I really wouldn't have been able to get my head around. She said, you know, I thought, well, maybe you're going to write a book or, you know, maybe you'll get asked to speak these different places. She said, I just started thinking of these, but I never in my da- heart doubted that it actually would happen. And I, I, I want to say that a lot of times when God, when you receive a word from God, he'll speak to you right where you are. Not way over your head so that you have no capability to believe it. And, 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 um, and so when he, when he spoke to her, he said, by this time next year, totally true, by that time next year it was paid off. Could he have said within two months? Absolutely. Would it have made it any more amazing? Not really. Because it was a true word. By that time next year, our house was paid for. And it was where my wife was at to the point where she could actually attach faith to it. And it's super important that we attach faith to the words that are spoken into our lives. And I can prove that biblically, and I'm going to, because I don't want any of us to get hung up there. I also want to tell you that there are times, and we'll, we'll get into the scriptures in a second to prove that, but, but, the, but she didn't tell me about it. She just wrote it down. There's going to be some times where God shares some things with you, like Carl was talking about this morning, and it's not for you to share with other people. Not that that's a rule that you're never supposed to. There's times where he says, go tell this person. Or you go tell that person. Or sometimes when you're praying about it, you feel like the Lord says, I want you to share that with them. But I would say when you receive a word like that, be real careful that the first part of stewarding it is deciding, God, is this just for me, or do you want me to go and share this with them? Because sometimes he's speaking something to you about somebody for the sake of you praying and interceding for them. There's no intention of you going to them and saying what it is. He just wants you to pray for that person, intercede for that person, stand the gap for that person. It calls us to do that. The Word says to do that for each other. And sometimes He's sharing something with you through a prophetic vision or a word that He speaks to you, and it's simply for you to stand on behalf of somebody else. Sometimes it's to share with them. But, but, but I will say that had she come and told me that, there's a possibility that just because of where I was at in my life and the things that I was thinking through and things that were being offered to me at that time, that maybe it could have affected my decision-making process. That maybe I would have felt like, okay, if that's going to happen, then there must be a way, and then anything that came along that looked like it was a way that that could possibly happen, I would might maybe be more inclined to say yes to because I'm trying to bring this word to pass rather than her just keeping it to herself and allowing God to do what God wanted to do to bring it to pass. She could have shared it with me. which I don't think she would have been disobedient, but sometimes you just don't feel like you have to share the thing that God speaks with you. It's okay to keep it to yourself and to hold on to the Word. In fact, sometimes you have to. And so, like when David was anointed king, he held on to that word and didn't try to take it into his own hands to make it happen, even though there was a man trying to kill him and even though he had already been rightfully anointed king. He just held on to the word and let the word encourage him. Even when he was discouraged and found himself in a cave, it was the word of the Lord that came to him that encouraged him and he remembered what God had spoke over his life. And that word sustained him even when, it took, when his life looked like he was nowhere close to this thing ever happening. For all he knew... besides the word of the Lord, in the natural, everything looked like it wasn't going to happen. But the word that God spoke to him and the thing that was spoke to him by the prophet was the thing that sustained him in that season. It was for him to keep. Mary, it was for her to ponder. She shared it only with Joseph. She didn't run around broadcasting to everybody what was going on. 
She could have told everybody, like, he's the son of God. Even, even when she knew who he was, when they were at the wedding, she said, just do whatever he tells you. She didn't look at them and say, he's the son of God. He has the power to do the miracle. She just said, just do whatever he tells you to do. That's it. And so keeping things to ourselves is sometimes really important. Sharing things is equally important. And the trick for us is to understand what is God saying to me and then what is God saying to do and when is he saying to do it. And so um, uh, in Joshua 16, 12, um, I'm sorry, in John chapter 16, verse 12, Jesus said this. He said, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. What was he doing? He was prophesying to the disciples about his death and his resurrection. And he's watching them and he realizes the spirit of God showed him his discernment, whatever it was. He realizes they can't take anymore right now. And so he looks at them and he says, he's been prophesying to them about his death, his resurrection, what's going to happen to the temple. And at some point he realizes, they can't take any more right now, even though I have so much more that I could say. If it was okay for Jesus to look at somebody and say, you know what, they've heard just about all they can hear right now. I probably should, I probably should stop. He said, I have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. He said, but there's a day coming when the Spirit of God will come and He'll tell you these things. He wasn't saying it's never for you to know. He's not saying it was never for you to hear. He was saying, right now, you've heard as much as you can take and you have all that you can do to believe what I'm telling you. If I start telling you the rest of this stuff, it might be so overwhelming to you that you don't even grasp the little bit that you do understand that I've told you. It's okay It's okay to not share everything that God shows you in the moment. It's okay to say, I'm going to share what I feel like God shows me they're capable of receiving, and that's all I'm going to share for that time until God tells me there's more that can be shared with them. Jesus did it. And so, the other side of that is when we receive a word is actually attaching faith and putting faith in the word. In the book of Joshua, chapter 5, verse 6, it says this, it says, for the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, that is the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord had sworn he would not let them see the land which our Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hebrews 4.2 explains what he's talking about. It says, for indeed, we have had good news preached to us just as they also, talking about the children of Israel, But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. And then, lest we think that's just an Old Testament reality, in Hebrews 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 11, he continues and says, Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest. He's talking about the rest of God. So that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, they received the good news, the gospel, this, this idea of there being a place in God that you can actually live and rest. And they received it just like we did. The difference between us who have received that and actually benefited from it and have entered into his rest and those is they didn't mix faith with the hearing of the word. So they heard what God said, but didn't actually believe that he actually could or would do what he said he would do. And it costs them going into the promised land. And then the warning comes. So then, therefore, let us be careful so that none of us follows the same example. What example? Not mixing faith with what they heard. Not believing what God had spoken to their life. How did God speak it into their lives? Anybody? Prophetically. He gave them a prophetic declaration through his prophet Moses that he was taking them to a land that belonged to other people and that he was giving them the land. Over and over and over, he declared prophetically to them through a person, through a prophet, that he was going to do this. And over and over and over again, they didn't unite faith with what they heard. And because of that, almost every one of them, including Moses, for things that he did, were not allowed to enter into the promised land. And the warning comes to us and says, therefore, let us make sure that we don't follow their example. 
In other words, when someone speaks a prophetic word to me, when God speaks to me, when God himself speaks to me, I have to make sure that I test the spirit, that I know it's of God. But once I understand that this is God speaking, I can back it biblically, and, and, I, and, I, and I've tested it, and every, by the word of mouth of two or three, the word's been established, and all the different things we're going to talk about in another message about how we weigh prophecy and what happens if we miss it and that kind of stuff. But when I know that God spoke to me, there's a responsibility. Just like when Patty heard the word of the Lord that said that your house will be paid off by this time next year, there was a responsibility on her hand when she heard it to actually believe and put faith into what she said. And a lot of times that looks like action. For Patty, there was nothing more that she could think of to do besides to continue doing what we were doing. But a lot of times, the way that we actually show that we believe what's being spoke to us is by the obedience that we have to the word that's come. It's by the action. It's by living our lives as though what was spoke was true. And if we don't, it's not God's fault. It's not God's responsibility. It's not as if God missed it. And the danger sometimes, and I want to talk about this right up front in a prophetic culture, is sometimes that we hear these words that are spoke over our lives, and then we feel as though we're entitled to something, and we will live as though it's God's responsibility if he spoke this word, and absolutely take no responsibility for living in obedience to the word that was spoke to us, and then when the thing doesn't happen the way that we thought that it should, we blame the finger at the perfect one. Or we say, well, that person must not have heard God. When the truth of the matter is, is he's perfect, and maybe they did hear God, but somewhere along the line, there was a responsibility on our end, and what we did or didn't do with the word, by the disobedience or the obedience, we walked in or didn't walk in the fruit of it. You guys, are, is anyone, are you guys alive this morning? Yeah? All right. I don't need you to clap. It's too late. I brought my own encouragement. I just want to make sure you're okay. You're too late. If I say something like that and you clap, it doesn't count. You got to do it before. But, <laughs> no, yeah, sure. But a declaration from God about your life a lot of times is only as good as your ability to believe it. So a lot of times he'll only tell you the things that you're capable of believing and hearing. And then when you're faithful with little, you're given much so you you believe and you act upon and you live according to what you've received from him and when he sees that he says okay they can handle more now okay they can why because he doesn't want to heap judgment upon you and it says that you'll be responsible for what you did with what was given to you meaning what if i haven't been obedient to the little thing why would god want to give me more things that are bigger than that for me to be disobedient with so that i bring judgment upon myself It'd be like, you know, as a father, if I told my kid, hey, I want you to lift this weight, and I saw him struggle to lift it up, and he barely got it up, and he barely got it up over his head, and he was holding it, and his arms were shaking, and he dropped it, for me to then have him do it again and put more weight on top of it wouldn't make any sense because he's already proven that he's not capable of handling the little bit that I gave him. Why would I put more weight on on, on top of that to crush him? And it's the same thing with what God speaks into your life. A lot of times, we, we, we're frustrated with God, and I, I promise you that it's not Him who's missed it. That a lot of times, we think we're waiting on God, and we have, we're getting these, oh God, when are you? And God's in heaven going, oh, when are you? God, when are you going to? And God's going, oh, if you would just do the little thing I told you to do. If you would just be obedient to that word, you would step through the door and see the whole thing in front of you. And you're outside the door wondering why you can't see what's on the other side of it, frustrated at God as if he's supposed to make the door disappear when he's told you to step through it. So in a, in a, in a prophetic culture, as we start talking about this stuff, listen, the words over your life are a lot of times, as it shows you God's desire for your life and God's perfect will for your life. But somewhere between God communicating his desire for your life and his will for your life and you actually stepping into it, there's this little thing called obedience. And if you receive a word and then don't walk in obedience to what the word says, it's not God's responsibility or fault and it's not the person that shared the words with you's responsibility or fault when it doesn't come to pass. I can so prove in Scripture when it says that it's not, for it's not God's will that any would perish, but that all would come to everlasting life. That's a prophetic word spoken 
declaring the desire of God's heart over humanity. And yet Jesus himself said, and in that day I'll say to them, depart, I never knew you. What happened? Somewhere along the lines of hearing the, de- the declaration of God's desire and the reality of what happens, man has to make a choice. And they can choose obedience, or you can choose disobedience. There's been times in my life where I've chose disobedience and I've suffered the consequence and it wasn't God's fault. He was in heaven grieved for what I was going through. But He didn't stop it. Why? He's a good Father. He's more dedicated to me becoming who He created me to become than making me comfortable in a moment in my sin. For wise parents, we'll do that with our children. We follow His example. Think about this. God told Abraham and Sarah and Mary that they were going to have babies. Yet, for Abraham and Sarah, they still had to do what was humanly necessary for them to have children. Mary's the only one who the Spirit of God came without there actually being intercourse between a man and a woman and birthed a child in her womb. Meaning what? They had a responsibility even though there was a declaration over their lives that God was going to give them a child. They still had to do what was necessary for them to do. It's not works. If anyone hears me saying works, listen, it's not saying it's works. It's saying, listen, he has a desire for your life. He has a will for your life. But I promise you, when he calls you to something, your obedience or disobedience matters. It matters. It makes a difference. How can he say, well done, good and faithful servant, if you didn't have to choose to do well at something faithfully? All right. Nope. All right, so um, so I want to talk a little bit just about the language that we use as, as we start talking about this, as we start creating a, a culture and a, and a context for this kind of stuff to happen, both in our, in our lives, in this church, but, but also outside of that. Um, so open your Bibles, uh, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 27. We're going to read a good bit of Scripture here, and we're just going to use a, a New Testament example that I believe shows a lot of wisdom. Acts chapter 27, verse 9, Paul's on a voyage. Remember, he's, he's a prisoner at this point. It says, When considerable time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them, the them is the, the Romans on the ship, and said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of cargo and ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was said by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached the decision to put out to sea from there if they could somehow reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. When a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close in shore. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called Irakio. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. Running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. After they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables in undergirding the ship. And fearing they might run aground in the shallows of Sirtis, they let down the sea anchor and in this way let themselves be driven along. The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Since neither sun nor stars had appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice. (laughs) The fact that he didn't get killed right then when you have starving men who think there's no hope of them living, and the, the smart aleck prisoner in chains stands in front of him and says, should have listened to me. That's the hand of God. Paul stood in their midst and said, men, you ought to have followed my advice and not set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you to keep your courage. There will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship for this very night. 
an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep your courage, keep up your courage, men, for I believe that God will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. So Paul's a godly man. Paul, ever since being born again, he's filled with the Spirit of God. And we hear him over and over and over again say, the Spirit urged me. I felt the Spirit say this. The Spirit compelled me. You know, these different things. So we know that he listened to and heard the voice of the Spirit of God. He spoke prophetically. So when he stood in front of them and told them, listen, I perceive that if we do this, if we go on this journey, there's going to be great loss of, of, to the ship and the cargo and our lives. I don't think Paul was saying, like, you know, I just dreamed this up on my own. Or because I'm such a skilled sailor, I, I, I just, I, I know these things. Or because I've sailed these waters so often. It wasn't that, because what he was saying actually went against the advice of the people who did sail those waters all the time. And the Scripture makes that real clear to us. It says, but they listened to the voice of the pilot and the captain more than they listened to the voice of Paul. Meaning what? Conventional wisdom and reason by the people who were experienced actually said the opposite. So it wasn't Paul's wisdom, skill, and experience in sailing that was making him say this. And because he had given his life and surrendered his life to the Lord, I believe that he was speaking with what he felt the Spirit of God inside of him was saying. But notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't stand in front of them and say, thus saith the Lord. Or, the Spirit of God told me this. He says, I perceive. In our language, I feel like. I believe. I think. And then he starts telling them exactly what he thinks. Did he have some kind of prophetic insight from the Holy Spirit within him? I believe so. I don't believe there was any way he could know that unless he did. But I also believe that he didn't have an outside-in voice that came and spoke to him the way the angel did. So rather than standing in front of these people and saying, thus saith the Lord, he said, I perceive. Now, later, when he is 100% sure that it's the Lord and not him at all, he makes a distinction and he tells them, this is what God said through his angel. That was an outside-in example that was there's no mistaking this it's written in the word like this is what god said when we have something see the 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 spirit of god within us and the words that he speaks to us are 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 open for us to mix up a little bit to not quite get perfectly to hear something and mix what we hear along with our own life experiences or our knowledge or our wisdom or logic or reason none of us are infallible in that way and so when we're speaking to people from the spirit of god within us i would love to see us and and to just see his church get used to doing this this is what i believe this is what i perceive I feel like God showed me. I was praying, and I, I say this to people all the time. They'll, they'll talk to me about something, I'll pray about it, and I'll say, hey, I was praying, and I, this is what I felt like I, God showed me. What are you doing when you do that? For one, you're making sure that you can have a conversation with the person because you're not ending it with, this is what God said. Because at that point, the conversation is over. They're, the only thing we can discuss now is whether you heard God or not. And a lot of times pride then gets involved because we've set ourselves up where the only scenario possible is I either did or didn't hear God rather than saying, you know, this is what I feel. And then in discussing with somebody, maybe we understand that part of what we were saying is what God showed us, but also part of it was our own reasoning that we kind of mixed into it. And we can talk things through and we can keep a dialogue until the two of us can actually come to an agreement on something and that by the mouths of two or three, the word is established. Now, if an angel appears to you, if God writes something on the wall with physical handwriting, if it's in the Word, then, but even then, I just feel like it would be really good for us to say, you know, last night, I believe an angel came in and this is what the angel told me. And not set ourselves up as 100% infallible and allowing pride to come in and it become a sticking point where now it becomes me having to defend my ability to hear God 
and causing turmoil or chaos sometimes. When, and this is why I said the other week that I think sometimes for the Old Testament prophets, it might have been a little easier because everything was outside in. They didn't have to discern, wait, okay, if I, this is what I feel inside. Is this God? Is this me? Is this a mix of both? It was, you know, it was God outside saying, go to my people and say this. A burning bush spoke, you know, different things like that. It's like, go to my people, tell them this. Okay, go to my people, tell them this. And now we actually have the Spirit of God living in us, but not only that, we have the mind of Christ so that it's not as if everything that we think isn't influenced by God as well. And we have the ability to reason and to understand things because we have the mind of Christ. It's not a carnal human mind anymore. When you got born again and all things became new, your mind, which was formerly enmity to God and at odds with God, when you became born again, Paul says, now we have the mind of Christ. Meaning that we actually have wisdom that's not from this age. Meaning we have wisdom that's not just from our own knowing, that it's actually from the Spirit of God that this wisdom we have is. And so it, it sometimes gets a little tricky to figure out, am I, am I, is this purely God? And so rather than standing before somebody and declaring this, Paul says, I perceive the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Part of that was wrong. There wasn't one life lost. And they did what he said not to do. He said, if we do this, this is what I believe is going to happen. Well, they did lose the ship. They did lose cargo. It was a bad journey. Didn't end well. All that was right, but nobody died. And so maybe what happened was God showed Paul that the ship would be destroyed and lost at sea, and all the cargo would be lost. And Paul thought, well, if the ship's destroyed, the cargo's lost, we're in a violent storm, everyone's going to die. But when the Spirit of God through an angel comes to him, he looks at them and says, for this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me saying, and now he says, this is what God spoke. He doesn't say, I perceive. You notice when he was telling them what he thought that probably was coming inside out, he says, I perceive or I believe or this is what I think. But when he's actually something now, this is an outside-in thing. This is God on the outside through an angel speaking directly to him. He doesn't say, I perceive. He says, this very night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage. Now, now, he's, now he's exhorting them. That part's in quotes. So he stood before them and said, this is what the angel of God said to me. The angel of God said, I have to go stand before Caesar. And that he has given every one of you, all of your lives, into my protection. And then, now he's done speaking what the angel said. He says, so take courage. Keep your courage, men. For I believe that God, w- I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. You know, it's okay to say I think this is what God said. Like Paul did it in the Bible. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse thirty-nine: A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to marry to whom free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think I also have the Spirit of God. What's Paul saying? Paul says, look, if a woman's husband is dead, she's free to marry whoever she wants in the Lord. In other words, another brother in Christ, someone who is born again, don't be unequally yoked. He says, and this is my opinion, but in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think I also have the Spirit of God. In other words, this is what I think, but I also think that I'm maybe, it may be the Spirit of God that's declaring this to me. But he doesn't know 100% that it's actually, he didn't say, thus saith the Lord. He didn't write it out as a command to them, unbreakable. He just said, this is my opinion, and I think I also have the, the Spirit of God on this. In other words, it's okay to say to somebody, this is what I believe, and, and I really feel like this is what the Spirit of God showed me. 
But you're leaving room for discussion. You're not setting yourself up as infallible. Why? Because the minute you set yourself up as infallible, you become responsible for the outcome of whatever word you spoke. You own it. When you stand in front of somebody and say, this is what God said, you have said, I will take responsibility when you act upon this for whatever happens. Because I am telling you, this is what God said, and there's no way that I'm wrong. Now you kind of know why they would stone the prophets of old if they missed it. Because they were taking the responsibility for other people's lives into their own hands and setting themselves up as infallible rather than keeping it to where there could be a discussion keeping it open. Maybe what you heard was God and maybe what you thought it meant was a little off. Maybe you saw a ship being destroyed and all the cargo sinking to the bottom and the outcome that logically came into your mind was if that happens, we're all going to die. So you stand in front of people and you share what you saw but you put your own little spin on it. That's okay. It's okay. Paul didn't get reprimanded for that. You know, sometimes it's better just to communicate just what you saw, but, you know, there's, there's grace. But he started it off with, I believe. But when he's sure that God spoke, when he's 100% certain, and listen to what he said. He said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. What's he saying? I'll take responsibility for your lives. If you listen to me, you're going to live. That's what the angel of the Lord said. And I'll take responsibility for all of your lives. I think he does that one time. I think there's one place that he actually takes responsibility for the lives of everyone he's declaring a prophetic word to. And he says, this is what God said. There's more times than not that he says, I believe, or this is my opinion, and I think this is what the Spirit of God would say. If it was okay for him, I promise it's okay for us. Let's develop a language where we can communicate to each other what we feel like God is saying to us, but we don't set ourselves up as infallible where we don't leave any room for discussion. Because I'm telling you, when someone says, well, that's what God said, what can you discuss with them? Like when I meet with people and they tell me, well, the Lord said this, I really can't say a whole lot to them unless there's something in Scripture that directly contradicts them. You know, someone comes to me and says, well, the Lord said that it would speed up my metabolism to smoke crack. That's an easy one. I can go to the Word and I can show you where your body's a temple. You're not supposed to do those things, right? So I can argue with them and I can prove to them that actually, no, that wasn't the voice of God. That was a God, but not the God. You know, if someone comes to me and says, well, you know, I just feel like God told me that I can divorce my wife because He wants me to go and minister in this country and my wife doesn't want me to go minister in that country and God told me I can divorce her because I have to be obedient to the call of God. I can tell you where Jesus said, and I tell you this, that according to the law of Moses, I'm sorry, from the beginning God said, do you not know that when God joins them together, man and woman, that the two are no longer two but one? And whatever God has joined together, let no man separate. And I tell you, and then they, they ask him, well, well, what about Moses? He says, well, for the hardness of your heart, Moses suffered you divorce, but only if there was adultery. In other words, because people had hard hearts, because people weren't born again, because people had hardness of heart. I, I know this goes against what so many people think. People take that verse and they say, well, well, Jesus said if there was adultery that I could divorce. Jesus didn't actually say that. Jesus said the answer to his question was no. They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He looks at him and says, do you not know from the beginning that God said that he made them man of male and female when he joined them together, that the two were no longer two but one? And I tell you what God has joined together, let no man separate. He's done there. If they don't ask him another question, he doesn't say another word. He's answered them. Then they turn and they say, well, then why did Moses... 
Oh, okay, now we're giving a different answer. Because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses suffered your divorce. But I tell you, who? People who are not born again, who are still under the law of Moses. Except for adultery, there's to be no divorce. You can decide which answer he would give to people who no longer have hard hearts and are under the law of Moses. But what I am saying is, if somebody says something to me and they say, well, God told me this and I can find in the Word where God actually said the opposite, then it's easy for me to say, actually, God didn't tell you that. You may have wanted to hear that. And you may have thought you heard that. And you may have the best of intentions and your heart might be to be obedient to God, but He's never going to call you to obedience (laughs) to one word in disobedience to another. It's just not going to happen. But when it's not something that you can just point to in the Bible, someone's making a decision and they look at you and they say, well, this is what God said. What do you do with that? What if everything in you, the Spirit of God in you is going, no. But they're looking at you and saying, the Spirit of God said, yes. This is what He told me. This is what God said. You pretty much can't have a conversation at that point. All you can do is pray. But if someone comes to you and says, you know, I've been praying about this, and this is really what I feel like the Lord has showed me. Oh, there's all kinds of room for me to say, oh, that's awesome. Have you, have you thought about this? You know, I, I, look, that's cool, and, and I'll be praying with you. And, and man, if God shows me the same thing, I will be the first person to call you. But, but what comes to me immediately when you say that is, and you just relate to them, whatever it is, if you feel like you have something to share with them, the, it leaves opening for conversation. It leaves a place for us to actually come to a place where it's established by the mouths of two or three rather than by the mouth of one. So let's make sure that as we start talking about these things, and we're going to go more in depth on, on, on how to give a word. What does it look like to give a word? And, and so, um, I'll end with this verse right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9. It says, For now we know in part, and we prophesy in part. I love the way the NLT uh, translates this verse. It says, Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. In other words, right now, we see part of it. We know part of it. When we get a prophetic word, it's usually just a part of it. Rather than setting ourselves up as knowing the entire thing and leaving no room for there to be more added to it, leaving no room for somebody to hear. Listen, when you tell someone that God said this and it's a, it's a, it's a A or B thing and you tell them God said A, you leave no room for the fact that the Spirit of God may have something else He wants to reveal to them. You leave no room for the fact that you prophesy in part, that you know in part. Because what you're telling them is, I know the entire answer and here it is and this is the entire answer from God. You better be sure. Because if they make a decision based on that, it's your responsibility. That's not meant to be heavy or scary. That's just to say, man, it's a big thing. I know, that's kind of scary, but I'm just saying, like, it's really a big deal. We need to take it seriously. It's not something to just wildly whip stuff out there on a whim. Like, make sure that you really do feel that you've heard from God and that it's not just your experience. But also, be open to the fact that maybe you're wrong. Or that maybe there's more to it than what you know. And leave it at that. You know, you can say, I perceive. We don't use the word perceive a whole lot now, you know. So, I feel like. I believe. I think. You can say like Paul, look, this is my opinion maybe, but I think I've heard God on this. I think this is what the Spirit's showing me, but what's he saying? He's saying, listen, you guys can wrestle through this on your own. You have the Spirit of God inside of you, but I'm going to tell you what I feel like the Spirit of God has showed me. That gives counsel. That gives direction. It gives encouragement. It gives comfort to people to know that somebody that you know, that knows the Lord, that seeks the Lord, has come to you and showed you this. And when it confirms a word, or it confirms what God's been showing you, there's so much comfort in that. There's so much encouragement in that because you know you're not just out there thinking something on your own. 
But somebody else that you trust through the Spirit of God. Now by the mouth of two people, this Word's been established. And now you have a whole lot more conviction when you go forward because you say, you know, I've heard the Lord on this and -and so-and-so sought the Lord and they heard the same thing. It's incredible. It's amazing to me how many times things get confirmed like within a day. My wife and I were discussing someone uh, and we were talking about something and I said, you know, this person reminds me of this person. And, and I said, and I think that, you know, and blah, 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 we were talking. And, and an hour later, and I didn't say, this is, thus saith the Lord. I just said, this is what I think. This is what I feel. You know, I said, I was actually, actually, I told her, I, was, I said, I was praying about it, and this person came to mind, and, I, and this is what I felt like I heard. An hour later, that person texts my wife out of the blue and uses the same name that I used when I compared her to somebody and was talking in the same line that Patty and I were just talking. I mean, you can't make that up. But what if, what if God wanted to speak to that person for themselves so that they knew? And Patty would have taken what I said and just shared, or I would have taken what I said and just immediately shared it with them. When they heard God an hour later, they'd be a whole lot less certain that it was God because they heard my voice in their head saying the same thing to them, and it would be easy for them to think, well, maybe I'm just thinking that because Roy said that. Sometimes there's wisdom and value in holding on to something because then when she gets a hold of Patty and tells Patty and uses that, then Patty can say, well, you know what's funny? An hour ago, Roy was praying, and this is what he said. Man, there's so much confirmation in that. There's so much safety and encouragement in that. So be wise about when to share and be wise about how to share. And next week we'll start talking about, all right, I know that I know. What do I do? I know he's giving me something to share. I know he's giving me word. I know that the time is now. How do I do it? In a corporate setting, in a one-on-one setting. How do I start the conversation? What if I'm wrong? What if someone else is wrong? All these questions that we have, we're going to start digging into those things. Yeah, you excited? I'm excited about that. I really am. But let's do it within the context of this. Let's just give ourselves permission that none of us are infallible and that every one of us at best know and prophesy in part. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you just for this exciting time you're calling us into where where we're excited about hearing you, God, for ourselves, but but also for other people and to be able to prophesy, to speak on your behalf and, and to share what you would have us to share with people for the edification and building up of your church, God, the people around me that I live life with. I thank you that it's still your desire to speak to us and through us, God, that, that you haven't gone mute. And I thank you that, that we'll be a place where, where there will be accountability, where there will be correction when needed. But along with that, there will be safety and security to know I want to hear from God through you, through the Word, through the Spirit of God within me, every way that God speaks, I want it all. And if you get it wrong, you miss it. We'll talk about it. We'll bring correction. We'll make sure we learn from it and we grow from it so that the next time you get it right, no matter how many times that takes, because we're committed to each other. We're committed to seeing everything that God wants to see in this house, in every person in this house, come to be and come to pass. So we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.